Watch debut films from choreographers Jack Ferver and Omari Wiles as part of All Arts Dance Film Festival, Past, Present, Future, streaming free on the All Arts app and at allarts.org slash past, present, future. Hi, dance friends. I'm Margaret Fuhrer, editor and producer of the Dance Edit newsletter and podcast. And I'm here this week with such a wonderful interview episode for you all, our latest episode in partnership with the Kennedy Center. Our guests are the world-renowned choreographers and performers Akram Khan and Malavika Sarukai. Both Akram and Malavika have roots in classical Indian dance traditions, Malavika in Bharatanatyam and Akram primarily in Katak. And both make art that considers how to bring what is inherited into the present, how the classical can speak to the contemporary and vice versa. Malavika is actually coming to the Kennedy Center quite soon. She will perform her work River Sutra as part of its River Run Festival next week. Akram's company is currently touring his production, Jungle Book Reimagined. That will be at London Sadler's Wells Theatre, April 4th to 15th. I felt very lucky to be able to get these two celebrated and extremely busy artists on a Zoom call, a global Zoom call with Akram in London and Malavika in India. Initially, this was going to be a moderated conversation with me in the middle asking questions, but... By about two minutes in, it became clear that I was superfluous, that the two of them had such a beautiful rapport, they'd be better off without me. So this is pretty much the last you'll hear of my voice until the end of the episode. Just a little context first. Our session together began with me asking them how they got to know each other. That was, it turned out, the only prompt they needed. And then I also wanted to mention that Malavika recently met Akram and his mother in person and you'll hear that come up early in the conversation. Here they are. Well, I, just to say that I've, I've um, heard of Malika's name for years before I met her, um, a kind of um, a living legend, really. And also uh, not in a kind of typical uh, superficial way, but in a profound way. Uh, you know, she's a superstar of Bharatanatyam, whether we like it or there's no other word to describe it. Uh, you know, she was performing in the very venues that I would go and want to be part of, you know, in the venues in Europe. She, uh, and um, so there was this extraordinary following of her work that I came across many fans and people uh, within the industry who spoke so much about her. But I, I discovered her, unfortunately, quite late in my career. So... Sometimes when that happens, it feels like, ah, oh, you know, that when you when you see the person, the the experience is not as good as what was said. And actually, it was the opposite of what happened. I was like, oh, they they underplayed it all this time. When you actually experience it, I saw a piece that she did about uh, uh, River Ganges. And um, I, you know, it's just very rarely where very rarely Pina is one of them. Peter Brook is another. Aryan Mushkin is another artist. Uh, Malivika Dee is another where you experience a show and you don't know, you you don't have the words. So people were asking me after the South Bank, it was at South Bank. Um, and they were asking me, how was how, how, how did you feel? Uh, what did you experience? And it was very hard for me to put it into words. 
because it hits you in the guts. It's very experiential. Dance is very profound work. It trans. It doesn't go to the head necessarily. It's not devised to go to the head. It goes deep into your body. And that's what I felt when I experienced the work for the first time. I I think, you know, Akram, I think you've been far too kind and far too gracious and generous in the way you've sort of expressed yourself. But thank you for, for uh, you know, responding and and letting me know what you think, because I think for an artist to an artist, and I think that's what happened when I met you in India this time, last year, November. Somehow I had the feeling that when I met Akram, I've seen him rarely on stage because in India, I mean, I live here and we don't get so many of your uh, productions touring this part of the world. But I just felt that there was an instant connect. And it, it was sort of, um, so strange, I couldn't quite figure it out. And I said, I felt I knew Akram even from before. Mm-hmm. Uh, though it was really the first time we were sitting and talking a little bit about dance. So I think there was a kind of a direct connect to the artist, to the person. And two, I think what I felt was the experience of what dance is for Akram. Though we didn't speak about it, but I felt it. I felt it. And that was very moving because then it's like, Oh my God, I've known him for so long. Yeah. I haven't met him in person that many times. I haven't seen so much of his work. I've seen some part of his work. But I think dancers, I think artists are speaking another language. Like he said, it's of the heart. And it's really not much of the mind. The mind can come in later, but mind is not the focus. You know, and I think this, uh, what he also said about experiential, and I think that is dance. You know, we all have these different forms. I mean, it could be contemporary, it could be classical language, etc. But, you know, that's only the exterior. That's only the, the language on top. Actually, it's energy, it's life breath, it's emotion. And seeing him and I think his mother as well, and I can't but stop to speak of her. Again, I felt I knew her. I don't know. I don't know, Akram, what happened. But I just felt there was something, there was an immediate sort of, I don't know, affection, fondness, but respect. And I think it was her love for dance. And that was so important because I was very close to my mother and I lost her 10 years ago. And then I found this person, his mother, who had this abundant graciousness and love for dance. And I think I haven't met so many people like that. But, you know, obviously Akram coming back to his dance, he's a name, he's he's a superstar. I don't know what else we call you, Akram. Call you many things. Um, But it's fascinating and rewarding to see what he has done from where he started and what he has made of his dance and his language that he speaks. It's it's another world. And I'm really, I was so happy to have met him in person and spoken and, you know, dance. It was fabulous. Thank you. You know, I think if if it wasn't for my mother, I might not have danced. It wasn't my calling. It was her calling. And I was very, very young. 
It's very small, little. And I didn't know, but somehow she took me and she put me in dance school and she and started, I started training. But when I was 16, I realized that dance was my life. By the time I had made this decision, I don't know how, but I think what propelled me towards finding dance was because in the world I saw around me when I was 14, 15, it, it was troubled. It, it was very uneven. And dance was a kind of sanctuary I went into. Mm. It, it was my space. It was my little paradise. It was where adults didn't come in, which is my magical world. And so I sort of went into dance in that way. And at 16, I decided I wanted to dance. But my mother was the supporter. She was the pillar in my life. She was, uh, she was my, what shall I say? She didn't teach me dance, but she did almost everything else. She was um, my creative collaborator. She was my spiritual guide. She was my critique. She was the person I could talk to. I could, you know, invite into my rehearsals. She managed my dance, my schedules. She traveled with me. She did my, my lights. I mean, it was just impossible. She did everything. And she was also my mother. So I had this phenomenal person with a fierce spirit and devotion to dance. And dance was primary. I came second. I, I happened to dance, but dance for her was her life. And I think that was an amazing relationship we shared. Yeah. So without her, I don't know, no dance, but with her, so much happened. Yeah. And when, when you when when you were young, was was she your teacher, dance teacher? No. No, okay. But she, but she came to all my dance lessons and she took my practice. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. She was very particular. She didn't bother whether I studied or not. She was not interested in academic pursuits <laughs> at all. But she was interested whether I whether I practiced. So, yeah, That's she cool. was. She was a different kind of mother. <laughs> and yours, Akram, how was that for you? Um, I think um, in 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 many ways uh, a little bit similar. I would say there is a real sense of. Um, uh, uh, when no one believed, she believed. <laughs> and I think uh, that belief is a pressure and that pressure is a privilege to have. Mm -hmm. um, people misunderstand pressure sometimes when, when somebody imposes pressure on you or gives you pressure. It's because they see something in you. They believe in something in you more than you can see it because you're not ready to see it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, my mother was a literature expert. Um so I grew up as a child because my grandfather was a genius mathematician and uh, he was two times gold medalist of India. And so uh, being a woman, being the daughter of this male kind of legend, uh, the society really shunned her and said, well, she's not going to be academic or a mathematics genius. Um, mm -hmm. And funnily enough, she had seven brothers, but none of the seven were mathematical. Nobody was a mathematical genius, but out of not revenge, but out of a kind of um defiance she said i don't want to do maths i'm i don't want to be compared all my life to my father i love stories and that's how she got into dance and so as a child she she used to um tell me every night uh greek mythology hindu mythology from hindu mythology from judaism christianity islam 
Chinese mythology, African mythology. She just collected like a hunter gatherer, and then every night she would share. But the problem came later when I was a teenager, and a, a late teenager, and I was going to university. And then I started to get into arguments with so many people. And it was a very frustrating time at university for me because the version I had of all the mythologies and all the stories were different to their version. Because the story of Adam and Eve was told by my mother through the lens of Eve. Ah. The story of Mahabharat was told through the lens of Amba or, um, right. uh, or Draupadi or... The story of uh, Prophet Muhammad was told through the story of the wives. The story of um, Jesus was told through the lens of Mary Magdalene. So the version was, an experience was completely different. So I grew up with only female lens. Ah. And I, I don't, still today, she hasn't told me why she, you know, did that. Was there a strategy? Was there a, um, but she did say to me that um, if you love something, you will constantly question it. And you constantly see different facets of it. Um, uh, because the moment you take it for granted, the moment you accept it, um, you don't love it anymore. It, it, uh, you feel you're above it. Never do that. Constantly question it because that means you're still learning from it. So she was very instrumental in literature, I would say, to, uh, to me. I wish she would follow me, but um, she was a school teacher. So she, she stayed mostly in London and I would go on travel and perform. You know, but I think there's an interesting, uh, you know, similarity because my mother was also interested in, uh, you know, in philosophy and right. literature and poetry. So that yeah. was also something I grew up in an environment which would, were these kind of conversations happening anywhere, the dining table, in, in dance, in my dance practice, sometime when we're going out, even if you're doing mundane things like, you know, just at an office waiting for our passport. We found we were talking about these other dimensions to dance. And, you know, when I hear you, when you said your mother tells stories, my mother too always shared what she had read. If there was mm -hmm. something interesting, whether I understood it or not, she would at least tell me about it. So I think sometimes, somewhere, it kind of filtered in. And, you know, I think temper it's also about, I think, temperament of what you allow in and what you kind of observe from the world, you know, what you actually take inside. And I think this was um, this was important. And uh, very, very uh, critical to dance was, she said, it's not a form of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is a creative expression of the self. Mm -hmm. And that I heard when I was very little. And it, it, it grew with me. And I think it hugely influenced the way I would later create work or, you know, the concepts I choose. And you know, it, it really shifted things for me. I think we were just lucky to have mothers like this, just to have them around and be influenced by them. Absolutely. I mean, um, there was one thing I was going to mention uh, was uh, the reason I mentioned your name with Pina, Pina Bausch's name and Arya Mushkin and Peter Brook. The reason I remember those is not just experiential, but because something changed in me. And my mother told me um, that's what art can do, profound art, deep art. It can change people. And I always say change happens in four different seasons. The first one is people change when they hurt enough that they have to. Mm -hmm. 
Secondly, people change when they see enough that they are inspired to. Thirdly, they people change when they learn enough that they want to. And the fourth one is people change when they receive enough that they are able to. Mm. So in dance, dancing, you feel that you're in, in, in the process of change. Something is changing every day. Um, and perhaps for a moment, if it connects with one audience, it will also change them profoundly. So yes, it's not entertainment for sure. I completely agree that it. Uh, it's not that entertainment is bad. I learned so much from popular culture. And I think um, uh, the intention is slightly different or, or quite different. That's all. I think people misunderstand when artists like yourself or uh, myself, or when we say that we're interested in art and and you know profound uh, immersion of of work, it doesn't mean that Charlie Chaplin is is not profound. It's just that um, he's in a medium and an area which is much more popular, let's say, uh, much more accessible. Yeah, but sorry to interrupt, but you know yeah. Charlie Chaplin is so profound. Yes, exactly. I mean, he, he, He's extraordinary. I mean, the stylization he brings into that work. I mean, that's what really, you know, it just takes it beyond what it is. Absolutely. And to bring bring the tragic to in laughter, I mean, to just be able to, you know, manage those two emotions. Yeah. I mean, it, it's extraordinary. I think, you know, when I say entertainment, I think I should clarify it. Because, uh, you know, coming from, you know, the repertoire that we inherited, which was primarily court uh, repertoire, which is say two, three hundred years old, the traditional, shall we say, repertoire that we all, that I as a dancer inherited. And the way it is seen and presented these days, there is a certain sense of status quo. Mm. There's a certain sense of let's keep it this way, this works. There's a certain sense of saying it works in the patriarchal world. Male poets, wrote love songs, hereditary women dancers danced it. They danced it in the courts of kings. It was all wonderful. It all said, it made sense at that point in time. And I think for me, it has been about questioning tradition, questioning this very repertoire and saying, am I looking at it as tradition or change or tradition and change? Mm. And I've always seen it as tradition and change. Oh, beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Many years ago, it, it was, uh, I think I must have been in my 20s or so, when looking and practicing it for about 10, 20 years, I, I started feeling uncomfortable, restless in this place I was put and the expectations of my dance. Mm. And then it became the dance, Bharatanatyam, this language, is, is not a style. It's a language. And why are we confining it to being a style? So I've been a bit of an outlier, I think. Pushing, extending, extending because I love the form. I love the, the classical structure, the grammar, the, the stories. You know, and I think that's where I'm coming in when I say entertainment. Because mm -hmm. we are allowing dance. And I, I think that's, for me, that's a it's difficult to expect so little dance. Mm. I can't. Mm -hmm. I demand much more of myself through dance. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And when I demand, I say, oh my God, so what am I going to do? What, what do I create? How do I create? What else do I say? Do I stay with love songs only because that was what I inherited? Or can I move on? It's a seeking because I love the classical so much. Mm. I, when I say classical, I mean the certain vocabulary, movement vocabulary, etc. that we're using, gesture language, etc. I, I respect it. Mm. So I need to question it. Mm. It's really interesting because, um, Malika, I, I, being born and brought up in the West, at the time I didn't quite realize being a teenager, but as I grew up um, into my, I would say pretty late in, in the, my uh, early 40s, that's when I started to look back and realize that a shift had happened. Um, and it's a hard thing to talk about, about how in the industry that we're in, the global industry, there was a shift, I think, in uh, in the early 2000s, um, and it continued to shift where all classical forms like Indian classical dance and African dance, they were sidelined. Uh, and w- what was put in front was the notion and concept of abstract or contemporary dance. And I felt it was happening, but I didn't quite, my brain took time to catch up and to make sense of what was happening. And Maven, of course, uh, is is my younger brother and a devotee of you um, and a beautiful Bharatnatyam artist. And he was in the classical world and I was in the contemporary world. And it's interesting because in the Western industry, he struggled a lot mm. that time. Right. Because simply because he was really immersed in the classical form, mm-hmm. and because I was interested um, in the contemporary form, but the classical was very personal to me, so I only trained every morning in classical. <laughs> so that was my starting point, and I still have to train every morning. But that was my grounding. That was my anchor. But because I happened to just swim in the contemporary world. I could see that there was really, uh, an, uh, um, looking at Maven, there was a really pushing away of him and making him feel that the classical form is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And this disturbed me hugely. So I started asking questions, who are the ones who are the gatekeepers of the industry? Who are the observers? Who are the ones that are watching? Who are the ones that are going to come in to watch the uh, the performance um, and I started to realize there was a kind of um, it's so subtle but also it's very clear there was a kind of colonial approach to the industry it's a sense of colonization how, how do we do it we take away all your stories and we just abstract it so it could entertain us it could we could call it contemporary and thank God Pino Bausch was around and artists like that, you know, where uh, or Trisha Brown, who, you know, made really interesting work, deep work. Otherwise, I would have completely dislodged myself from the contemporary dance world because it felt like a place which was an experimental space, but without soul. Mm. The shift yeah. of trying to take away the stories and the colors and the emotions from Indian classical dance and say, well, look, just give me the form. We'll present right. it to our audience that we can understand it. So I was like, who are the we? And predominantly it was, it was for the white people because they didn't want to feel stupid. 
because they didn't understand the nuance and the uh, and the stories. And that was very problematic for me later. I started to realize there was a real sense of something racial happening here, something colonial happening here within the contemporary industry. I'm sure there will be backlash when I say these things, but you know, it's because I'm in the contemporary dance world, I feel I can say that. <laughs> the value of classical Indian dance, the value of traditional forms like uh, African, it's so important. And I think we see, I think, there was a difference in how we saw time. Mm-hmm. In contemporary, we only look to the future. And I think this is a generational thing that's happening more and more. My okay. children or my children's generation don't want to look to the past. They think everything in the past is wrong. Oh. Indian classical tradition, in African tradition, time, there is no past and there is no future. There is no present. It is a deep, long ocean time. And with contemporary dances, everything behind me is gone. So I'm not interested. But in order to, and I always say, in order to understand where you're going, you have to understand where you came from. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you feel in the industry, if you don't mind me asking? Well, you know, I think you've made such, such important, like, observations, you know, which comes through your experience of having performed and, you know, to various audiences and globally. I think this idea of the colonial kind of mindset, which chooses to see something and puts away some part of it. I think actually, you know, to live the course with classical dance, I think any serious artist practicing classical, a classical form from whichever part of India they come, you know, or Africa, you know, anything which is more profound, which has another depth to it, yes, is you feel actually all your life you're trying to swim upstream. Mm. There is so much resistance, Mm. you know, and, and resistance against reaching out. And I think it's easy. And I think another point is I think people prefer to be conditioned and think less generally than to feel. Now, when an art form, a profound any in whichever way, is it contemporary or classical, whatever, if dance is profound, if that is the expression of dance, it demands that you feel. You have to give more of yourself. The artist has to give much more of herself, himself, but the audience also has to give, give of themselves. They have to be vulnerable. Now, if we don't want that, right? I don't know, I'm just thinking aloud. It's almost like we are masked. Mm -hmm. That we allow, we say, you know what, we are conditioned, we we like to accept only this part. So don't give us any more. This is fine. You remain in that part. Mm -hmm. And so actually, you know, dance is such a marathon, as you would agree with me. And with classical dance, it's a fierce battle to stay the ground. To mm-hmm. just hold on and say, you know what, this matters to me, and this is what I'm going to express, and mm-hmm. this is my language. So don't mess with me. Expect me to do what you want to see, because guess what? I am immersed in dance. I mm-hmm. live it. I live a life in dance, and this is what I want to dance. So mm-hmm. I think in the industry, as you said, you know, it's really difficult 
for classical dance to sort of retain its flavor you know and to retain soul to dance with soul is like you have to give of yourself you know you've got to understand immersion every day of your life it's not immersion in uh, or oh, this performance i'll immerse then i will go out no yeah. you're drowned in it it's it's a passion you have to live it with that fire and you need something deep inside you i think as individual artists you need that something deep inside which holds you which stabilizes you against all these storms and all these kind of things you're expected not expected to say you know what this is my compass this is my root and also one more thing i just like to add that with classical in working with you know a more traditional sort of structure etc we perform the same pieces over decades right we we don't just say okay this is done 5 years of this so we don't do it and then it requires even more like give to it to say mm-hmm. how do i live the moment when i've danced it so many times so many hours what is it that i find within me to give mm-hmm. can i surrender to the dots mm-hmm. you know i mean it becomes so almost like it, it, it's asking so many questions Mm. of the of the individual and the intimacy of that conversation. Mm. Yeah, the words yeah. that you're saying though intimacy, surrender, immersion. I think there's a, there is um because I'm traveling so much meeting young people. I feel there is a real shift in how they approach and their relationship to dance. Um Maven and I were going through a series of auditions. It was really interesting some of the questions that came up. The question yeah. is um what time do does your day finish or do you also work on saturdays so i thought wow the entry point into right. their relationship to dance is a job mm-hmm. it's a job and in the past the question would be why don't you work on a sunday ah and that entry point is uh, very clear that it's different Mm-hmm. to the entry point of another dancer who asks what are my hours all the words that you used immersion surrender um do these things obsession Im- these are kind of um dirty words now you know i feel akram you know just hearing you and i, I think it's perhaps you know you you hear these questions because you know you have the company and you're auditioning and you have these big productions happening but somewhere i feel that you know overall the world has become more, much more transactional much yeah. more transactional i mean that's the world we live in and and then you know when you think of dance you say oh my god that's why you need dance even more because you're living in a world which is so transactional you need to go and give yourself up you know unmask yourself and say give yourself up to dance and or, or to life i've always felt that wonderment is a word we're losing mm. and i think dance at in its deepest form takes us to that moment of vastness of vastness it's like seeing the night sky i mean it is like knowing that you are a little speck in this universe 
And that's the celebration to know you're a speck. Mm. And actually you have the universe in front of you. I think wonderment as an emotion is something we don't allow in our lives, perhaps because we think more. Now we are all used to thinking. And I say, yes. can we just feel? Can we feel? We were talking about this in India, Mal- Malika. We were talking about uh, where does Indian classical dance fit in the industry? And I kept using the word uh, phrase, it's now become an endangered species. And so it's Absolutely. even more important to have artists like Malavika to constantly remind this young generation the power of dance. I saw this little thing, um, a little writing on on a tree uh, up in the mountain somewhere, which said, this was once a seed that held its ground. <laughs> and what you saw was this huge, beautiful, magnificent tree. And I think back to that and say, oh, my God, we need to hold our crown. We need to be rooted. We need to have that identity. We need to say, who are we really? What do we dance? Why do we dance what we dance? Profound art and profound dance. It is contemporary because it lives in the moment. If it lives in the moment, you can't call it past. It's now. It's here. It's here. It's with us. It's this. And and I think, you know, and that's what one is trying to share with people. Mm. This has been fantastic. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. So, so grateful. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Malaka. Thank you so much. big thank you to Akram and Malavika for their generosity with their time and insights. In the show notes, we have links with more information about Malavika's upcoming performances at the Kennedy Center and about Akram Khan Company's upcoming performances at Sadler's Wells. So please be sure to check those out. And thanks as always to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with a headline rundown episode discussing the dance world's recent news stories. Until then, keep learning, keep advocating, and keep dancing.